We turn to the chapter we read in the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 15, and we shall read again from verse 23. Exodus chapter 15 at verse 23. When they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them, and said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and wilt do that which is right in his sight, and wilt give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. And they came to Elim, where were twelve wells of water, and threescore and ten palm trees, and they encamped there by the waters. Amen. As the Lord enables us, we wish to consider this miracle at Marah. The miracle at Marah. And the Lord performed this miracle for the children of Israel. And he did it in order to satisfy their bodily needs as they were beginning to make their way through the wilderness. But we can learn so much from the miracles of old, that which was done in the Old Testament and the New, even though such miracles may not be something that we witness with our own eyes in our own day, they are nonetheless our miracles because the Lord has seen fit to record them in the scriptures for our learning. And always when you study the miracles, you should be looking for the spiritual lessons. Those things which the Lord may do for individuals in scripture as respects their bodily needs can be applied to the needs of our souls. This miracle at Marah speaks of a wonder that the Lord, the gracious Lord, is performing for his people spiritually and continually. He's doing this for them all the time. That is their experience while they're in this world. They're passing through a passing world, and they know Mara, but they also know something of Elim. And we wish then, as the Lord guides us, uh, to take up this miracle in that way, seeking to learn spiritual truths and spiritual applications 
which may be of relevance to us at this time. First thing to consider is the people's complaint. And we have that in verses 23 and 24. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink of the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Marah was in the wilderness, at the wilderness of Shur, three days' journey from the place where the Israelites had crossed the Red Sea. And they looked as they made their way, but they could not find water to drink. And then they came to Marah, and there were springs there. And we imagine the delight when they arrived. Now we may quench our thirst. At last, the thirst that is raging within us, it may be relieved. But to their horror, when they drank the water, the waters of Marah, these springs were bitter. The taste was not one they could abide. That may speak of disappointments, discouragements in the life, the walk of the child of God. Things that held promise for you, things that you set your heart upon, but the Lord had other plans. The Lord would lead you in a different way. It may be true of individual believers, different points in their lives. It may well be true for the church, for congregations. There are hopes, there are desires, and yet they are not always fulfilled. Or at least, shall we say this, they're not always fulfilled in the way we thought they would be. Or at the time when we thought they would be fulfilled. Now, this was only the first difficulty of the children of Israel in the wilderness. And the question for them was this, how would they cope? Were they not the Lord's people? Were they not those who had Jehovah, the mighty Jehovah, as their God? And this in particular, had not the Lord so recently done a marvelous work, an extraordinary work, whereby they were delivered out of the land of Egypt, the house of bondage, in the great exodus, and given safe passage across the Red Sea, while Pharaoh and his host were drowned in the depths. And this was the Lord's doing. And here in the chapter is a song. And they're celebrating this great deliverance by the hand of God. And that is so fresh in their minds. But it is as though they had already begun to forget their deliverance. We will find them later looking back, anchoring after the things they had in Egypt, fleshly things. They did 
not remember the bondage they were in, the cruelty of it, and the hardship, the oppression they were enduring, such as made them cry unto the Lord for his deliverance. And the Lord in his mercy gave it. Now they were beginning to travel through the wilderness, making their way to Canaan, a promised land flowing with milk and honey. But they tasted these waters and they were bitter. And that name was given to that place, Mara. And they murmured, they murmured. Inwardly at first, and then outwardly, sense of grievance, dissatisfaction, becoming vocal. They murmured against Moses. Well, this was the first hardship. All had been going so well. Would not the Lord make an easy passage for them? Safe and swift, straight to Canaan. No, the Lord would not. Because what was surfacing now, what was coming forth out of their hearts, this murmuring, this complaining, was only the beginning of an attitude of that kind, which would become uh, more and more evident. A rebellious and stiff-necked people. That is how the Lord describes his own covenant nation, Israel. What a rebuke. But they would have to bear it because it was so true of them. And friends, we put it to ourselves. Are we not at times like that? We know what is right. We know how things ought to be. What is best for us? That is defiance. It is a lack of a gracious humility. A lack of submitting to the will of the Lord. Is not God our loving heavenly father? Does he not care for his children? Has he not shown the extent of his love for his people? In the gift that he gave. Even his only begotten son. Jesus Christ. And we need to learn, as Israel had to learn, what it is to trust in the Lord. This grace of faith, it must be exercised time and time again. If we're never brought into difficulties, if we're never in dire straits, then faith does not have to work as it needs to work so that we will depend utterly upon God. Otherwise, we'll just be looking to our own resources. We'll discover we don't have any. And that will be stumbling and falling to us. Simon Peter, we know him, self-confident, bold, and yet, in a sense, foolhardy at times, not looking to Christ, depending upon Christ in his time of need. 
and we must look to our God. We're empty in and of ourselves. We have no strength. The Lord is pleased to make his strength perfect in our belt. Weakness. What we confess unto him. That we are nothing and can do nothing. Such are in the way. Of being strengthened anew. By the Lord. And the Lord. Looks after his own. My God shall supply all your needs. According to his riches in glory. By Christ Jesus. You could apply that to our providential needs, our daily bread, but you could also apply that, and perhaps we should, to the riches, the gracious riches that are in Christ, glorious riches, because those who have them are on their way to eternal glory. So we have the people's complaint. When they drink these waters, they taste them to be so bitter and unpalatable, and they make their complaint regarding this. Well, secondly, we have Moses' prayer. Here are the people, they're murmuring against Moses. Really, they're angry with the Lord. But Moses, as uh, the Lord's servant, bears the brunt of it. That may be the lot of God's servants at times. And we're told several things about the character of Moses in Scripture. He was meek, above that meekness of any man on the earth. Very meek. And his meekness was not perfect, but it was evident. Meekness is that willingness to bow down before the Lord. It's the opposite of self-will. It's desiring the Lord's will. People were not doing that. They were going to determine how things ought to be. But here is Moses. He's meek. And yet he's the leader. And he's strong for the Lord. Moses was long-suffering, very patient with the people of God for the most part. He was a godly man, and the Lord had raised him up, given him a suitable character and background and training and experience that he should be at the helm in order to lead God's people through the wilderness. And something of the character of Moses comes out in verse 25. And the way it's presented, it suggests it was instinctive with Moses. When he learns of the people's complaint and this cry going up, what shall we drink? He cried unto the Lord. I wonder if it is the same with us when a difficulty emerges. As individual Christians or as congregation, the church, the first thing we ought to do 
always and ever in these situations is to do what Moses did here. Send up a cry to the Lord. And that's a strong word. It's not just repeating a few words one has learned. It's coming from the depths of one's being. It's coming forth from one's soul or spirit. And Moses has a concern for the glory and honor of God and for the welfare of the Lord's cause. And so he sends up this petition urgently, earnestly, with a great strength behind it, his trust in God. His belief in Jehovah, who and what Israel's God is. And the Lord directs his servant to a tree. What is the purpose of this? Well, this tree, when it was cast into the waters, somehow caused the waters to be made sweet. And delightful to drink. I think we must say that there was no special property in that tree. It was rather like the tree in the garden. Tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We're not led to believe that its fruit was any different from uh, the fruit uh, borne by other trees round about it, but it was it was set there as a test. God pointed out that tree to Adam, and uh, God pointed Moses to this tree. Test of their faith to teach the obedience of faith. Whatever the Lord directs, whatever He commands. We are bound to do. And we learn here that Moses was obedient to the Lord. He cast the tree, branches or leaves or whatever, into the waters. And the waters were made sweet. And this is the heart of the matter, is it not? This is the blessed truth that we may uh, glean from this event. The waters were made sweet by this tree. The people then quenched their thirst and they were content. What of ourselves? Do we have a tree? An equivalent to this? A tree that will make our difficulties and discouragements to be viewed in a different light. A tree that will make that which is bitter to us to be sweet to us. And certainly we have such a tree. And that tree is the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is Calvary. It is what took place there in the will of God. The redemption 
performed by Jesus Christ, God in our nature, coming on behalf of a people, the Israel of God, to suffer and bleed and die for their sins, and by his death to satisfy divine justice and reconcile sinners to God. It is Christ's atonement and all that that means. Christ's atonement in its application to the sinner who is enabled by divine grace to trust in Christ, to depend upon him for righteousness and to begin to walk with Christ in this dark world. Everything is made sweet for the child of God by the cross. And we may mention a few things. An accusing conscience. It is answered by the blood that was once shed for sin. Now, when we sin... Conscience may accuse us, that is a mercy. That is the Lord saying to us, well, I know what you have done. It is not hidden from me. And my gospel tells you what to do. You go to my son, Jesus Christ. And you put your trust in you. In what he finished on the cross. And you find in his blood. That pardon for sin. And peace with God. Do we make use. Believing use of Jesus Christ in that way. This is for the Lord's people. We sin daily in thought, word and deed. There must be daily repentance. And where there is particular sin, we are aware of particular repentance with respect to that sin. And you go to Christ crucified. There in the blood that was shed. One sacrifice for sins forever. The Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. There you find forgiveness. And there you enjoy the peace of God in your soul again. A hostile world. A world at enmity with God. That world can be resisted by the believer in the strength of the grace that is received from Christ crucified. Christ has, by his death, provided all needed grace for his people during their sojourn here. There are battles to be fought for God's people. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Standing against a world that is in the wicked one, deceived, a world full of lies, 
And it's not an easy thing to stand in such a world, to stand on the side of Christ. But that is our calling. We're called with a holy calling and to follow Christ and to be faithful to him. And that may be true in the school or the workplace, in the community, the nation, in the church, the Lord's people upheld, enabled by the mighty grace of a mighty Savior in union with Christ by faith and enjoying what the Lord has for his own, kept by his power and enabled to testify to the truth of the word of God. The fear of death, that is something that may afflict the Lord's people. How can that fear be quietened? Well, it can be quietened by reflecting upon what Christ did on the cross. He died that his people might live, live eternally, live with that life that has no end, and it is the life of union and communion with God. It is an altogether blessed life, satisfying life, begun here and to be perfected in the world to come. And yet, the child of God coming near the end, there may be doubts and there may be fears. Did I ever really begin? Am I a hypocrite? Is my belief in God, my hope of heaven, just a notion? Where is the reality, the substance? How can I be sure that all that I have put my trust in is indeed to be realized when I leave this world? Well, look to the cross. Hear the cry anew. It is finished. Behold the signs, the earthquake, and the veil in the temple torn in two, and the rays opening, the bodies of the saints coming forth. They surely testify of what happened on the cross was indeed the fulfillment of God's eternal purpose to make of his own dear son the stone which the builders rejected, the chief cornerstone of the spiritual temple, the household of God, Jew and Gentile, united in Christ through faith in him, and all having that blessed hope even when Christ shall appear uh, to be like him, with him, and in every way 
satisfied in Christ. We remember Naomi, her name meaning pleasantness. And we remember her experience, how she went with her husband, Elimelech, to Moab in a time of famine. And we often wonder at that. It would seem that Elimelech was perhaps not a believer. If he was, he was weak. The Lord certainly looked after others who stayed behind in Bethlehem. But Naomi went dutifully with her husband. But going to Moab was not pleasant for her. And there was much grief and sorrow and sore loss. She lost her husband, her two sons, Marlon and Killian. And she comes back to Bethlehem. And the people see her and they're asking, is this Naomi? And that suggests she was an altogether changed woman physically. The years have taken their toll. And she says, call me not Naomi. Call me Mara. Bitter, bitterness. For the Lord hath dealt very bitterly with me. That is how she felt. But she was a good woman. And she did trust in the Lord, and perhaps she was trusting in the Lord more, having had this experience. It cast her upon God, his resources. And there, back in Bethlehem, the Lord favored her. And of course, Ruth came with her, daughter-in-law. And she would prove to be such a blessing. And then uh, Boaz and the marriage of Ruth and Boaz, another blessing for Naomi. Then the grandson, Obed, and the Lord was working in this way so that Naomi was blessed, richly blessed. And that is recorded for us in the book of Ruth, the women said unto Naomi, Blessed be the Lord which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman, that his name may be famous in Israel, and he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life, and a nourisher of thine old age, for thy daughter-in-law which loveth thee, which is better for thee than seven sons, hath born him and from that line as we know leading to David ultimately the savior himself would come we wonder whether Naomi had some glimpse of that even as the Lord so dealt with her Pleasantness, bitterness, and then pleasantness again through the Lord's dealings. Finally, 
we have the Lord's promise in verse 26. Uh, there is uh, a statute and an ordinance, the Lord proving his people at Marah. And the Lord says this, if thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and wilt do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. Matter was a test for the children of Israel. They were found wanting. They did not trust in the Lord's promise to provide for them. They were not like the patriarch Abraham, whom they looked to, whom they would claim often, the Jews, as their father. Well, physically, they may have been descended from him, but spiritually, many of them were not. Remember Abraham on Mount Moriah? The miracle there of the provision of a ram in the place of his son, his only begotten son, Isaac, whom he was about to sacrifice according to the command of the Lord. And when Abraham turned around at the call of the angel and saw that ram, well, he saw the Lord, the Lord's provision for not only himself, but for his people in their generations. He saw Christ in that Ramna. And he called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will see. The Lord will provide. There's the faith of Abraham. Israel so often did not have it. What of ourselves? Are we the true children of Abraham? Having the like faith? He saw the coming of Christ from afar. Rejoiced in the day of Christ. Well, we're privileged to look back at Christ come in the flesh. Is he all our trust and confidence when it comes to our relation to God? And do we believe that our God, for Jesus' sake, will provide all our earthly needs and grant us deliverance? in time of difficulty, and turn things around, things that we might deem to be afflictions and sorrows, and the experience of them is real. That is how we feel about them. That is our nature. But the Lord turning them about for our good. The charge from the Lord to Israel was that if they were faithful to him, keeping his commandments in the future, things would go well with them. 
and they would enjoy his presence and his provision. He would give them soon his law at Sinai as the rule of their obedience. And we have these words at the end of verse 26. I am the Lord that healeth thee. That is a blessed thought. The healing there is surely more than physical healing. It's the healing of the heart. All the troubles the Lord's people have. All the disappointments and discouragements. Well, the Lord heals. We've had the experience. There was a bitterness there, just as when the Israelites drank the water springs of Marah, bitter. But the Lord healed. By his grace, he healed. And the Lord made things sweet. In his time, he did that. In his providence and grace, he did that. There was a turning. We couldn't see it. And when we turned that corner, we looked ahead and things were brighter. And often we turn corners in the Christian life. In the plan of God, following his leading, guided by his word. The Lord is our healer, soul and body. Soon, the children of Israel would leave Marah and they would come to Elim. Elim, where there were wells of water, beautiful water, sweet to drink, and where there were threescore and ten palm trees to give them shade. From the oppressive heat. An oasis. In the wilderness. And the Lord may deal with his people that way. And with his church that way. He brings them to matter. First of all. There they discover. How lacking they are. In their faith and confidence in God. Something is sent to them, upon them, which they struggle with. It's difficult to bear. It's discouraging. And there's sorrow. We did not expect it to be like this. We did not want it to be like this. But the Lord sent it. And perhaps it was because... There was a lack of trust and a lack of putting our confidence altogether in the Lord. But after Elim, Mara, uh, after Mara, Elim, and there the blessing, the blessing that God gives to a people who have been 
some ways chastened or corrected. They see their faults and they look anew to God and they know that he is their refuge and their strength. In this life, it will always be Mara and Elim, but in the world to come, for the Lord's people, it will be Elim only and no Mara. Grace will have done its work, and the child of God perfected in holiness and in the nearer presence of the Savior. And what satisfaction and what joy and gratitude to God for all the way he led us. His way is perfect. And we bow before it, his poor unworthy servants. May we know something of the miracle at Mara in our own experience. The Lord's sweetening through Christ, that which may have been bitter. May he bless his word. Let us pray. Oh, gracious one, we... Thank thee for what we are able to learn from thy word, thy dealings with thy people of old. And thou art the same God, thou hast not changed. Thy covenant love for thy people is as it ever was. And Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, uh, today and forever. And may we have all our confidence in him. And may we know the help of thy grace in all our experience going forward. Bless thy people, especially those who may be carrying sorrowful burdens and going through trials. Help them and be with them and bring them to Elim. Forgive our sins for Jesus' sake. Amen.